0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
1: day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 4th of March. We're in New York City. Spike Lee won't be there, but we will be. Jazz and the Knicks coming up. We'll talk about that one. What is going on around all of the NBA and some Mike Conley thoughts on all of it coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better for you to be a Jazz fan. Thanks very much for tuning in. We're here for you every single day, Monday through Friday. appreciate you making it part of your daily routine, your first podcast you grab each and every day, Locked on Jazz. All right, Jazz and the Knicks tonight. The Knicks coming off a really good win against Houston the other day. They played with great energy. They had a super defensive scheme. Uh, They... Took away the rim against them. And they've got some pretty talented, kind of, it was a mismatched roster that I actually think might be better since the trade deadline. I think they were mismatched with too many pieces, if that makes sense. And so by making the deals they made at the trade deadline, uh, where they got rid of, you know, Morris was probably having their best season of anyone on the roster, but just kind of relieving that from the group, I think has been. Probably a little bit helpful for them. Um, I actually think Coach Mike Miller's done a really nice job. They're 15 and 24 after being 4 and 18. Uh, so there's, I think there's some. And, and watching them play, you know, they played with an absolute purpose and a and a set goal to what they were doing. Uh, they've won two in a row. Uh, prior to that, they obviously struggled. They lost. Uh, six in a row. Before that, they won four in a row. So they've had some kind of decent wins. They won in Indiana. Then they beat the teams you'd expect them to beat in Cleveland and Orlando and Detroit and Chicago. And then they had the surprising win uh, over the Rockets the other night, 125-123. Um, it's it's a curious group right now, I would say. R.J. Barrett's playing a little bit better. Um, so if you look at those last ten kind of 10 games or 12 games, and what the Knicks are so you know the trade deadline happened a little earlier than that but uh, or a little later than that that would include some of it you their Ju- Julius Randle has become kind of their main offensive player uh Randle who was in New Orleans last year is a uh you know i i'd, I'd say he's a he's a not particularly efficient uh or modern NBA player. He's got some really good skills. The best way, actually, someone described him to me, I thought this was an interesting way um, to look at him, was uh, they said that Julius Randle is a player who does a lot of things well, but most of them you want somebody else on your roster to be doing for you. Which I thought was kind of an interesting um, way to to look at it. In other words, what they're saying is, hey, Randall can rebound and bring it up the floor, but you actually probably want your point guard to bring up the floor. He can go one-on-one, but you probably want a shooting guard, you know, who can, who can make all those plays going one-on-one and you probably, you know, he can, he, he can post up, but you actually probably want a bigger center to post up. Nonetheless, he shoots 21, he scored 21 points a game in their last 10 and 11 rebounds. So he's their primary guy now with Morris out. Um, plays a little bit of a, Center, but they'll also play Mitchell Robinson um, in that position, so then he'll slide over and play a little bit more of the power forward. I'd expect that we probably, Boyan will have a tough time with him, um, but I would suspect that you'll see Rudy Gobert there. They've got three different types of big guys we're going to see tonight, and I think that'll probably dictate how this game goes. Julius Randle at 21 points and 11 rebounds and 3 assists over the last 10 games. Mitchell Robinson, who's their kind of mini Rudy Gobert, who really, you know, when we played them last time, Kind of wilted under the pressure of Rudy Gobert, and then uh, Bobby Portis, who is their center uh, at, or it 's kind of their other center, and he'll he 'll stretch it out he 'll take three threes a game, shoots thirty five percent it 's not much of a power player averages about four rebounds in twenty minutes um, and so and then they 'll have Taj Gibson, who played a lot of center against Houston. Uh, the other night and had a really good game it Was kind of just a veteran you know, uh, player around the basket. So they, they signed a lot of those guys. They still have them. And then they just don't have much of that guard line. R.J. Barrett is trying to do the best he can. He's been better in the last five games. He's had an uptick they're very excited about around here. Uh, but that's about it. They're not a great defensive team. They're 28th in the league defensively over the last two weeks. They're 22nd in the league overall. Uh, what's interesting really about the Knicks is they're the worst offensive half-court team in the league. They're the worst offensive transition team in the league. They live off the offensive rebound. Mitchell Robinson gets five a game. Taj Gibson gets two a game. Julius Randle gets three a game. Their, their their really entire offense is built off the putback. We're the third best defensive rebounding team in the league because of Rudy. We don't really think feel like we're that imposing of a defensive team but that's what this game will be so keep an eye on that tonight um I don't want to bore you too much uh more with them uh they're not worthy of that much time quite frankly uh they and Spike Lee evidently won't be there if they haven't watched this uh, fiasco uh that's taking place here in New York so that's the the crux of the game is we've just got to have a lot of effort and we have not been very good defensively recently we've talked about it at nauseam uh tonight tonight where we should be really good defensively we should be able to uh, stop them in transition, uh, we should be able to keep them in the half court, we should be really, really good uh, defensively. If you look at our last 15 games defensively uh, and what's kind of taken taken place with us for the year, um, it really is what we're, we're not doing in transition off defensively. So here's our defensive numbers for the year. After a made shot, we allow 1.05 points per possession. That for the year has been about the 11th best. After a defensive rebound, we allow about 1.08 points per possession. That's the 10th best. And on transition, after a, a live ball turnover, we are, uh, middle of the pack at 1.25. So that's, you know, that's not great, right? Uh, you go back to, to about 15 games ago, uh, when we end up losing to the, um, Houston Rockets and things kind of changed a little bit uh, for us at, at that point uh, in time, and here's what the numbers are since then, now we've been obviously much less good defensively um, in that time, we're middle of the pack prior to that, and um, since then, we've been 26th in the league. So after a made shot, we're 1.14 defense, uh, points per possession, 28th in the league. So as much as we've been talking about how bad we are defensively in transition and getting back and live ball turnovers, really stunningly over the last 16 games where we have been the the biggest difference of who we are, it's, it's universal. You'll see here a little bit. But is half-court just defense, just generally half-court? After we've had a made shot, our defense should be set. We should be there. We're not getting stops. We were at 1.05. We're at 1.14. We've gone from being 11th to being 28th. And the same in transition. We were 1.08. We're now 1.18, 25th in the league. And we were, so that's another, that's one point. Whereas transition, we're actually about the same. We're 1.26, we're right in the middle of the league. Our transition defense after live ball turnovers has not been dramatically different. I feel like we've committed more live ball turnovers recently, and live ball turnovers are very different than dead ball turnovers. And what you get dead ball turnovers really should go into the math of after a made shot. But So whatever reason is, you know, really, after made shots, people coming back at us, spreading us out, doing whatever they're going to do defensively against us, we have just not been as good uh, defensively as we need to be. So that's worth watching tonight. Um, and then that also, I mean, really, it gets down to our ability to defensive rebound against a team that pounds the glass and taking advantage of them on the other side of things. But we have just not been nearly as good after when our defense has been set. Just pure, you know, we, I've heard I, I've talked about transition defense, I've heard about, live, I've been hammering live ball turnovers on the broadcast, but if you really get right down to it, the issue um, has frankly been, as much as anything, our half-court defense with our team set, so let's see whether we can fix that tonight. Today's broadcast is brought to you by the store at 6200 South and 20th East, they're also located downtown in the Gateway. The store is Utah Zone. That's what Jeff and Scott, who've built the store, kind of their pride and joy is having Utah's own. All the products in there that are Utah products, uh, whether it's anything from something as simple as cotton candy or June pies made out of out of Heber, or whether it's uh, great salsa companies that are in town that have been built, or whether it's jellies and jams, or whether it's p- the great tortilla chip story I've told before about the woman at the wedding who made these great tortilla chips and, and uh, Jeff went around and asked who's who made them and now she produces them for the store. That's what you see is you get the feel of being at Utah own, the kids helping the older uh, customers out at the 6200 South 20th East store uh, with their taking their bags out and feeling that community. Also at the Gateway store, you get that urban feel, great spot for lunch down with the hot meals there for you available at the Gateway store right across from the Children's Museum. And then, of course, the great Mudslide Cookie and the Leatherbees Locked on Mudslide Ice Cream, if you haven't checked those out. It's at the store, 6200 South, 20th East. There's also Conwood Aces on the backside of that store as well, if you're looking for some of the summer barbecue things as we get ready for that time of the year. A great Traeger setup that they have there. That's the store, 6200 South, 20th East, and also located at the Gateway. Uh, Tony Jones did a nice piece on Mike Conley. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Mike Conley. I thought Mike had a really interesting quote in here uh, where he said, Two few interesting quotes from Mike Conley. Um, Nobody's more frustrated than me. Not the fans, not the media, not my teammates. I'm not a guy who runs... Uh, from looking in the mirror, but at this point, I have to control what I can control. I have to stay locked in. I have to focus on what I can handle. I know what's being said, but in a big way, it's not in my control and what, what people may think. Um, so I thought what was interesting here is no one's more frustrated than me. You know, Mike Conley hasn't been frustrated probably at any point in his career in a decade like that whole emotion and his admission of frustration which i think is obvious but is still i think a really big deal you know for mike conley to admit he's frustrated and the d- word he used um i i think it's a pretty incredible concept because that represents to me how new all of this is to him so when mike's talking about being frustrated I think he's being very honest. He's being truthful. But also, imagine what that's like for him as a player. He He's not been frustrated before. He's not had anything. Frankly, Memphis, the entire franchise ran around him and was built around him and what he needed and the defensive schemes were built to him and the offensive schemes were built to him and the game was built to him. And probably in the last few years, as he's been aging, they built it to him. And now... It's all incredibly different for him. And I think that, I thought that was a really interesting quote from Mike. Um, Not because it's saying anything we didn't know, and nice job for Tony to get it, Um, but his willingness to kind of say, yeah, I'm frustrated. This is different for me. Um, this is difficult, and this is difficult. You know, he said later, my role is just not the same as it was in Memphis, and it won't be the same. Most people can't grasp that, but I do. So I have to continue to take ownership, be me, play the role that I'm going to have with this team. And if you think about the addition of Jordan Clarkson, that even makes the role even all the more different. So when Mike's on the floor to start the game, he and Donovan are splitting the ball handling duties, which he's never done before, and he's the second. He's probably the third. Sc- scorer on the floor, which he's never had before, and when he comes back and plays in that second unit that I'm so interested in and how it works and how it's going to play out for us, he's now on the floor with Joe Ingles, so he's sharing ball handling duties there, and which he's never done before, and Jordan Clarkson's the primary scorer. Now, maybe this is all the natural evolution of what a 32-year-old Mike Conley has to get used to and has to adapt to, but it's just an inc- really eye-opening to how how big a change it is, and I will tell you the other part of it that I think is incredible is that I, um, I didn't see any of this coming. Like when we talked, when I talked to Mike during uh, training camp, we talked about how great it was going to be for him to have other scores around him. He's never had that before. To relieve that burden for him, we talked about how he was going to come off the pick and roll with Rudy Gobert and be spaced with shooters and have room. To work, those things have actually turned out to not be true. One is, I, I was ignorant of like just how much Marcus Gasol was a was a popping big. Um, how often, if you go back and, and I've done this, watch some of the rude, uh, Mike Conley Marcus Gasol pick and rolls. They came off the elbow. Um, a lot of times were handoffs off the elbow with Gasol holding it at the left elbow, and Mike Conley's making a tight curl around the lane, and then either Gasol's popping back or he's hitting that little floater. Uh, I think, you know, so there's just was this entire change to how he was going to play. Um, he's never been the third option on the floor before. He's probably never been the second option on the floor together. That maybe back to Rudy Gay, which was the last time he had a scoring big. Um, he's never had a defensive, of scheme that's not built around him. Everything that was being done in Memphis was built around him for success. So this is just a drum, you know, we're, we're 60 games into the season and we needed to figure it out and, you know, I think it's why, you know, keeping him in the starting lineup is going to give him a chance and then play with his second unit is going to give him the opportunity, hopefully, to be able to do this. But this is a little bit of kind of where we are with him and what we need. And we'll see how it plays out. We'll see if, if it works. You know, he um, but I thought that I thought Tony did a nice job in this article. And I thought Mike had some, you know, interesting quotes in there about just how different it truly is. And what he's doing, you know, it feels good to try and get into a rhythm. Conley said, some games I can be a little passive and I run to the corner and get lost in the game. I have to try and be aggressive and make plays for the guys when I have an opportunity. And it's interesting, you know, he's got to make plays for guys. One of the things that just hasn't happened this year is him driving in the lane and dishing out to shooters. Now that actually is the more I research that. That's a big man's play. Um there aren't a lot of guards other than Trey Young, maybe who's six foot one and maybe even Trey Young who are six feet one and driving in the lane and passing out to shooters out of traffic. That's not a a play that actually gets made nearly as much as I thought. So it's, it's interesting and it's gotta be, you know, and then you just kind of walk through Mike's season that, so he gets here. It's completely different. We all think it's gonna be seamless and great. Every conversation, maybe he knew it was gonna be harder than we're talking about, but when he and I talked in the training camp, we all are excited. He just, not, he did not participate in a lot of training camp. They're trying to preserve his body. So I think everyone thought it was gonna be somewhat seamless and then it wasn't. And then, you know, then he was behind the, the eight ball with, uh, how it felt, and, and probably a little stressed out, and trying to figure it out, and for, and and experiencing everything's new at that point for Mike, right? The the drive he talked about the drive to the arena being new, the neighborhoods new, the kids are new, the wife are they okay? Is everyone happy? Uh, everything was so perfectly organized and pleasant, and knew exactly what he was getting in Memphis, and then he gets into a situation where everything in life is different, and the game is different. Uh, and he's trying to figure that out, and he has the miserable opening night with nerves. And it just began, you know, Rudy wants the ball, he's trying to get Rudy the ball, and that turns out to be hard for him to do. Uh, and it, and it just kind of, I think, Began to roll up on itself. Then he has the hamstring injury. The team gets hot because of the schedule, not because of anything else. Let's not kid ourselves. And now he's trying to work his way back. And I think that we'll see, you know, obviously the opponents aren't great right now. But I think we're going to be able to see him find a little bit of a rhythm with that second unit. Compliment Jordan Clarkson. But he, again, he's the second or third option in the second unit. He's the third option in the starting lineup behind Boyan and Donovan. It's just so dramatically different for him. And again, maybe it's the reality of what he is going to be as a 32 year old six foot one point guard in a league that while it's not playing centers is getting bigger at every position. And this is, this is what he is. But I think it's, you've got to understand kind of the year that he's experienced and how dramatically different it is. And then the question is, you know, does he make us better? Like the idea that he makes us worse is totally flawed. That's not true. Can he make us better? Can he make that, lead that second unit into something, uh, with George Niang, Tony Bradley, Joe Ingles, and Jordan Clarkson? Can he, uh, help in pressure moments, uh, in, in playoff pressure moments be another ball handler and relieve the burden on Donovan can't you know probably Boyan is going to I think have a playoff struggle because uh, he has a tendency to turn the ball over against the better defenses when he plays with the ball in his hands when we stretch him out so Mike has a, a larger ball handling role Joe's got a larger ball handling role though teams are switching Joe more than they used to which is eliminating some of his productivity and so then you're going to fall back to Mike I mean there's we've got you know he's got a month and a half to find a rhythm in this role they find you know, been fiddling with it all year long. I think this is the right answer now with Clarkson. Um, and frankly, you know, uh, Mike and and Jordan haven't played a huge amount together, right? If you go and and look at those two because of the injury that Mike had simultaneously to the Jordan playing together, those two have not been on the floor a huge amount together. And I think that line that secondary lineup has got a chance to be, you know, something really productive. Uh, for the Jazz to be able to figure out. Donovan and Mike were very successful early in the year, and so now, you know, what's the next, what are the stages and what are his backcourt mates uh, along the way? So far this year, when Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson have been on the floor together, the Jazz are plus six their offensive rating is a 121 in those circumstances. The defense has not been great, but who cares if the defense, the offense is in the 99th percentile. Um, so that's a pretty neat combination. Uh, Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell together this year has been kind of a mixed bag. It was very good early, um, and now it's been better as of late. It's plus 5.1 over the season. Uh, so those two lineups have really, really worked um, awfully well. The one lineup that has surprisingly not worked, is Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Rudy Gobert. The lineup that I was absolutely certain would work is minus five per 100 possessions, and it it has not worked. Every other lineup involving Mike Conley has worked. When Mike Conley's with Donovan Mitchell, it works. When Mike Conley uh, is with Jordan Clarkson as his his backcourt mate, it works, Uh, and we'll see you know if the this second unit can find let mike find a little bit of a rhythm in there but this is another guy who can can go off for 20 points and those are the two two primary guard sets uh that he is now playing with uh let's look around the NBA there it's been really wacky and weird uh and what's going on tomorrow we'll be coming to you live from Boston so make sure you make sure you put this pro the podcast subscribe follow make sure it's your number one podcast you listen to each and every day uh as we're there for you monday through friday on locked on jazz today's show is brought to you by homie homie's got a bunch of exciting things going on for you so if you don't know about homie homie can buy a home for you it can sell a home for you uh Homie, when they buy a home for you, they work to get you $5,000 back so you can have more money for your home. That's right, because when you buy a home, you pay the home, you pay the seller, their agent, and whatever agent you choose to hire. It's your money that pays both agents. Homie is returning $5,000 back to you. Homie's had Great success and is changing the real estate market. They had had over $50 million in savings on commissions. Homie helped thousands of buyers and sellers in 2019 with over a billion dollars of real estate transactions. And the academic study out of BYU professors showed that Homie is selling for more money and eight days faster over the three years, saving sellers over $10,000 on commissions. So text LOCK, L-O-C-K-E, to 88588. That's LOCK to L-O-C-K-E to L-O-C-K-E to 88588 and find out what a homie agent can do for you to find your dream home, tour homes, make offers, and negotiate the best deals. That's LOCK, L-O-C-K-E to 88588.
2: Hi, this is Nate Duncan from Locked On's Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Those of you who listen to our show know that I try to take a measured approach. I'm not prone to hyperbole. It really takes something special to get me excited. But with all that said, Theragun is simply one of the best products that I have ever used. I just turned 40. I've always loved to work out, to play basketball when it's safe. And as I got into my 30s, it just wasn't possible to do that anymore the way I wanted to because my body didn't feel right. And Theragun has helped me fix so many of the aches and pains i tried everything massages chiropractors this at home device handheld percussive therapy has worked better than any of those for me and now the all new gen 4 theragun has a proprietary brushless motor it's so quiet it's no louder than an electric toothbrush and best of all you can try theragun risk-free for 30 days there's no substitute for the theragun gen 4 with an oled screen personalized theragun app and the quiet and power you need starts at only $199 go to theragun.com locked on the name of this network right now and get your gen 4 theragun today that's theragun.com locked on theragun.com locked on what is going on in the nba
1: okay so the jazz dropped to the suns right that was like the beginning of this the lakers lose to memphis the thunder have been blown out like back-to-back games Denver last night goes like 3 of 80 from 3 and loses to the Warriors. And the Rockets lose to the Knicks. Teams this time of year don't usually lose games right now. There's a span in late March, middle of the late March, where teams do lose. And then they click back in for the last part of April. But it's not usually right now. This is unusual to kind of have these bizarre, strange outcomes in games this time of year. Uh, the league would probably love to tell us it means that there's a lack of tanking going on and because of the way that the um, new playoff structure is and the new lottery. I, I don't know if that's true. And how about the Pelicans losing last night at home to, to Minnesota? Like, that's a game the Pelicans... Like, I'm all in on the Pelicans making the playoffs, and Zion's amazing at 25-8-3 last night with one block and four steals. He's incredible, um, and he's just had a much more positive impact than I anticipated. But, like, that's a game they can't afford to lose. It just doesn't, like, that doesn't work. There's just weird games going on right now. And it's, you know, Milwaukee getting blown out by Miami is a little unusual, though they're so far ahead. Dallas losing in Chicago the other night, 109-107. It doesn't – It there, it things aren't – like this is not actually the natural progression of an NBA season right now. Uh, Utah started it with their just weird play coming out of the break, losing those four in a row, but we've kind of had it on a nightly basis, right? Memphis beats the Lakers 105-88 the other night. I don't know why, um, and I don't really have an answer for you, it just it, it it does seem a bit strange. Um Memphis may you know M- Memphis had lost to Sacramento the night before that 104-101 then comes back and wins. Denver lost to the Clippers 132-103 then Denver came back I thought and won a a great game against Toronto 133-118 and then Denver lays a shooting egg really last night like I think you look at that one and you see they were 3 of 20 from 3 but it's not a lot of three attempts uh for them uh, only 20 of 87 shots is not great for them, whereas the Warriors took 50% of their shots as threes the other night. I mean, that's how an inferior team beats you, is that they have a better shot distribution than you do, but certainly strange to see that um, and the way that kind of has played recently. Denver's got some interesting things going on. Paul Millsap is still amazingly vital to the Nuggets. And Boy, Paul Millsap just amazes me every year and proves me wrong time and time again. Because I fully thought that, like Paul, that Paul Millsap was aging. Jeremy Grant would be the five. so. They're thirteen points better per hundred possessions with Paul Millsap on the floor than off the floor. Their defense is eight points per hundred possessions better with Millsap than without Millsap which blows my mind. Now, they do some unique things where they play all their starters together and then they play all their bench guys together, and I don't know that that's actually going to work in the playoffs. Mathematically, it totally makes sense. Analytically, reality, I'm not sure. But so they've played their starters like this incredible 1,400 minutes to get, or possessions together, and they, they're plus 10. It's one of the best five-man lineups in the league. And then they go and play... Morris, Barton, Tory, Craig, Grant together with like, and that's, and then they'll play, they had a beat, like they had another bench unit that was minus 20 at one point in time, and they had another bench unit that was minus 30. They're a little different now after the trades of Beasley and Herman Gomez that they don't have quite the same depth, but they they have the guys you want. The one interesting thing that's taking place is that their trades in Denver really meant that Michael Porter Jr. was going to be vital to them, and their defense is far worse when Michael Porter Jr. is on the floor, like plus eight points per 100 possessions, which is the in the 6th percentile. And the same is true for Jeremy Grant, which makes just no sense to me at all. Uh, the offense is better with Porter. Is this just because they play that bench unit, and that, and they play the five guys together as a bench unit so much that their numbers are just going to be bad in the starter's numbers. I don't know. I'm going to call Adam Addis of on Nuggets and, and get his take on what's going on there. Cause it doesn't really line up to me a lot of, of what make, of why that is. Um, but they do some, you know, they, they're the team that plays the most, um, s- minutes of starting five, lineups or and bench five lineups together. Um, which I always think is one of the more interesting debates that actually goes on in the league of whether, you know, playing time based on lineups, um I, I think is super interesting. Um because I, I think that it I don't know. Like I think it's a I don't know I honestly don't know what the right answer is. How's that? Um so Utah plays thirty-two percent of their minutes have all five starters on the floor, which has the second has the fourth highest frequency in the NBA, so it's one of the and we have the second best net rating with our five starters on the floor. We have four starters on the floor. We play twenty three point three minutes, which is the second highest frequency of anyone in the NBA. So I like what we do. I mean we play fifty five percent of our minutes as having three or f- four or five starters on the floor. And that seems to be the most pr- pretty close to the most of anyone in the NBA. The only one that I would assume is higher. Um, Let me see if I can find it for you would be Denver. Like that would actually be my team. So Denver plays. 38% of their minutes with their starters on the floor, and 16% of their minutes with their four starters on the floor. So 38 plus 16 is 54, and I think I had us at 54 also, or actually 55. So we're actually ahead of Denver. We may play the most minutes of anyone in the NBA. Um, Toronto plays 54 also. Portland plays... About fifty-four. Also, so we're we're in the top group of playing four or five starters, the most of any team in the league. I like that. I think that's the right, and then just kind of to milk the other minutes. Um, we struggle a great deal when we get to our bench. I think we all know that this year. Um, Denver plays the most minutes. Uh, actually, that's not true. Denver plays the sixth most amount of minutes now of no starters on the floor, and they're minus twelve. Um, they play ten percent of their minutes. Uh, with no starters on the floor, which s- seems awfully high. Um, but the math kind of makes up. Milwaukee, by the way, plays the third most amount of minutes with no starters on the floor at 14, and it's working for them. So that's, um if you're wondering, you know, like who are the teams uh that do that? Oklahoma City and Memphis are two other teams that play. Huge amount of minutes with no starters on the floor. Uh Actually, Clippers, sorry, Clippers play the fourth most. Milwaukee plays the fifth most. The, I sometimes re- San Antonio plays the second most amount of minutes with no starters on the floor. New York plays the third most. All right, snitching way to look at it. We'll see what's going on with Denver. Weird things going on around the league. All right, that is Locked on Jazz today. Thanks very much for tuning in. I'll be back with you tomorrow. We always are. Hope you're good. Talk to you soon.